the other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, if you if you saw Brady's announcement, um, he did it from a, a beach in Florida, apparently in front of a condo that he owns, and people are now scooping up sand from that beach and selling it at auction. And I, I have heard that it is going for as much as uh, 98, 99, almost a hundred thousand um, dollars. And uh, what kind of a cocked person would yeah. would spend that kind of money? Um, yes, yeah, so when, so easy when, to for, validate. So easy to validate that. Well, it's not only that. For a tenth of the price, you could get on a plane, go down to Florida, yeah. get a hotel room for a week. Go scoop up your own sand and go home. So I, I never underestimate the stupidity of the American public. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, I, yeah, I don't the think there's. To be right here. Welcome to Wait What. Sportsbiz Chat with DP and McGee, Season 2, Episode 5, otherwise known as Episode 54. This is the podcast that takes a unique look at the business of sports, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and on occasion even serious. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. So it's Super Bowl week, partner. I'm over in London, which seems like a bit of an odd place to be for Super Bowl week for an American-based sports marketing person. But uh, but that really doesn't matter all that much because I think everyone just wants to know, Tim, what is on your mind? <laughs> well, I know you do, and I appreciate it. So I, I have to, I have to tell you, I'm exhausted, David. Uh, I know you've been traveling, but I got a call late last week, and they asked me if I would play quarterback in the Pro Bowl. <laughs> so I was busy doing that. I think I was the only person in America who didn't get that call. <laughs> Um, and, and by the way, should we call this episode um, LIV? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only if we get sponsorship money from Live Golf, which I don't think they're in position yeah. to give sponsorship money. No, no. So let's 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 talk football. But I don't necessarily want to talk about the Super Bowl. Um, uh, although it is, if you were interested in going, apparently it's going to cost you at least eighteen thousand dollars between travel and hotel and. Um, and tickets to get in. And I've had people who have asked me if I had an in for tickets this week and I had to tell them, no, I do not. I, I don't rate that anymore, but um, I'm sort of reminded of the uh, Seinfeld episode of the contest. And I feel like Kramer, I feel like uh, throwing down money on the counter and saying, you know, I'm out um, <laughs> because I made the prediction at the beginning of the year that Tom Brady would not retire. Yeah. Um, and he has, in fact, announced his retiring, saying this time it's for good. He's taken a gap year, um, I yeah. think, uh, before he joins Fox Sports, which I think a lot of people are happy about because a lot of people like the Burkhart, Kevin Burkhart, Greg Olson team. So they don't have to deal with those questions this week in Arizona and they get another year um, together. And I'm sure by then, uh, Greg's agent, our friend Peter Raskin, will have him in a good position. The other thing I wanted to mention is that uh, if you if you saw Brady's announcement, um, he did it from a, a beach in Florida, apparently in front of a condo that he owns, and people are now scooping up sand from that beach and selling it at auction. And I, I have heard that it is going for as much as uh, 98, 99, almost a hundred thousand um, dollars. And uh, 
what kind of fakakta person would yeah. would spend that kind of money? Um, yeah, so when, so easy to validate. For, so easy to validate that. Well, it's not only that. For a tenth of the price, you could get on a plane, go down to Florida, get a hotel room for a week, go scoop up your own sand, and go home. So I I never underestimate the stupidity of the American public. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, I, yeah, I don't the think there's to be learned here. I don't think there's any fear of, of running out of sand on that particular beach anytime soon. Maybe, maybe there is. Listen, I'll give Tom Brady credit because I've been tough on Tom Brady before. I thought it was one of the best things he's done as it relates to the will he, won't he. Um, it, it was a nice little announcement. He did do it on his terms. But to your point about the broadcast team and, you know, Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhold have the um, uh, Burkhardt, excuse me, have the, have the Super Bowl. And this is a huge moment for them, I think, to prove their uh, worth as a team. And I think Greg Olson as well. I think a lot of people are cheering for Greg Olson to continue as the guy. I, I think he's been I think he's been terrific. I've said this many times that I, I don't think Brady is is going to be worth the money that Fox has uh, promised him, which is more than he was making as a football player. Um, but I'm not saying he doesn't you know, the earn the respect of being that he clearly has a, a mind like very few, if any, people to play this game um, ever. So uh, so from that standpoint, you know, he has the makings of, of what would be a good analyst. But I, I just still don't I just I just don't feel he's going to be a good one. And I, I certainly don't see him necessarily being better than than Greg Olson is as an analyst. But he's Tom Brady and people are scooping up his sand. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, he has a year and a half now to practice his craft, and I'm sure the production folks at Fox will will give him as much uh, reps as, as they possibly can to get him ready. But you can't teach charisma. You can't, you know, what we do um, is just a, it's just a talent. It's a God-given gift that we have to be this natural and this engaging and this charismatic and this charming. Yeah. And I could go on and on I'm, and on I'm, with the... Uh, our, I'm sitting our there. I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there abusing the greatest football player of all time, <laughs> saying, "While well, we sit here on this weekly show, impressed with ourselves as some kind of broadcasters of uh, of sports information." So I guess I should probably just shut up. Although, would love to have Tom Brady on, come on the show. So, Tom, you're welcome anytime. Listen, uh, I'm not even a household name in my own household, David, and I fully acknowledge that. Um, so I'm going to toot our horns because, quite frankly, nobody yeah. else will. Right, right. So what, what do you get, what do you got on your mind? You're in, well, you're in UK. Well, I, I am in UK, but my, you know, there, there's a, a commissioner that we haven't spoken about as much as we have some others. And even though we've spoken NHL before, and that's, and that's Gary Bettman, who celebrated his 30th year at the helm of the NHL uh, on February 1st. And by far, uh, of the American sports properties, the longest standing uh, commissioner. And, you know, Bettman's an interesting, uh, an interesting figure in that there is no place he goes in a hockey environment where he is not booed, right? He, it's just, and now it's just fun for fans, I think, to boo him. But you can't deny that he's been a pretty effective commissioner. Um, uh, you know, all of the metrics that a commissioner is judged on have increased. Primarily, the value of these of the franchises in the NHL. Um, they've done some amazing things uh, with their with their stadium series games. Obviously, with Winter Classic, 
uh, and various other of these special events. Um, you know, they've made a thing of their all-star game. They've had some fun with that, uh, although the games themselves you can kind of question. Um, but so so congratulations to Commissioner uh, Gary Bettman on on 30 years. Yeah, I think what it goes back to is, um, you know, he lost an entire season and there are fans who, who won't forgive that. Um, but I think it's almost become ingrained in the fabric of the sport, much the same way if you go to a, a Ranger game to this day, um, invariably uh, a chant of Potvin sucks will, will break out despite <laughs> the fact that I think uh, Dennis Potvin retired before Gary Bettman even became commissioner. So if anything, hockey fans have long memories. Right. right. So, so speaking of hockey, there's another hockey story that I found interesting and it's tied to Massachusetts and, and Boston to some degree, but there's something about Boston politicians going into uh, quite, uh, quite high ranking sports positions. Earlier, we talked about Charlie Baker, the, governor of the state of Massachusetts, um, accepting the job to run the NCAA. Um, and then uh, it looks like Marty Walsh, who was the sitting United States Secretary of Labor, who was the former mayor of Boston, is going to become the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association. So obviously someone with a strong uh, labor background um, taking on that uh, that labor organization. Um, uh, from uh, from uh, Don Fear, uh, kind of a legendary name in in this space. So big news, and I just I don't know what it is about about Massachusetts politicians that are drawn to these sports positions. But um, you know, congratulations to to Marty Walsh. Yeah, no, it's uh, he is to your point. He is following a, a legend who followed somebody who nearly destroyed the Players Association, Alan Eagleson. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this impacts the the relationship between players and, and, uh, and management, but um, yep. they've been on quite a roll, the NHL. Um, and so hopefully it will continue. Right. What else you got? Well, uh, <laughs> speaking of which the NHL <laughs> ratings are down 22% yep. in the first half of the season. So, uh, but there are a number of explanations that people have come up with for that. Um, not the least of which is a lot of the games on national uh, broadcasts have been uh, blacked out in major markets like New York and Boston um, and Los Angeles. But so it will be, I, I'm not uh, reading too much into those numbers yet. I do think the quality of play continues to be great. There's some great rivalries. Um, they came off a successful all-star weekend. So um, I did want to point that out, although I don't put too much um yeah too much uh, credence in that number right now. It is only half season. Yeah. And, and listen, I think hockey on a, on a national basis with its two current partners now in their second year, ESPN and TNT uh, always is a bit of a challenge. They had a really good year coming out at two right partners. I thought for the NHL, their broadcast mm -hmm. teams are pretty strong. They brought some great talent in uh, for studio shows. Uh, but it's a bit of a challenge on the national front because, because the way this game is consumed, you know, I think the bigger challenge is going to be how, um, how they manage streaming in the future and, and what the future of the regional sports net is, which is where, where hockey and for that matter, baseball actually always, always thrived. I felt particularly in those markets, um, you know, with super strong teams, Detroit, um, uh, Pittsburgh, Boston, uh, Chicago, um, for instance, New York, of course, 
um, that have that great, great following that, that people want to see those games on a local basis. Yeah, and some of those markets aren't particularly large media markets, right? right. Detroit and Pittsburgh aren't necessarily very big media markets, um, but the passion is certainly there. Right. Um, I know you wanted to talk about a couple of uh, sponsorship hits. Yeah, I think uh, I think doing a sponsorship spotlight, uh, we haven't done one in a while, uh, I thought would be good. How do we feel about these sponsorship deals? Speaking of the NHL, um, a deal that I find interesting because it's a departure for what is typically been sponsorship in the college space for a great New Jersey brand, Jersey Mike's. Um, great sandwich shop, by the way. And um, uh, shout out to my friends at uh, at Van Wagner for uh, bringing this deal together. I, I, I'm a little curious about, about the choice. It's their first professional league sponsorship. Um, uh, I think they do some, some local stuff, but they have primarily been focused and invested heavily, as you well know, uh, as a Naismith uh, Award Board member. Um, in the college space, yeah, they uh, they entitle the uh, Naismith Player of the Year awards. Uh, shout out to Jeff Hemscott and Rich Hope of yeah. Jersey Mike's for getting that deal done. Two um, really, uh, really smart, savvy marketers. Yeah, I went right to the agency people. You, you, I, I let you t- talk about the actual client side. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Those are the guys who signed the check, David. Yeah. You gotta... <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. No, but um, uh, but listen, it was. It, it looks like it's a great fit, and um, I agree. They are great subs, um, and we'd love to have Richard Jeff on the show to talk about that as well as their other yeah. initiatives. Yeah, really, really good subs, man. <laughs> really good subs. And, I, and I'm saying we want them on, not because of the, of the. But we, but we'd have them on for the subs too. I mean, let's just be honest. His subs, are, subs are really good. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. Um, no, yes, we would want them on. Just, I'm just being a, being, a, being a pain in the ass. All right. So another one that I find interesting is, I don't know how many more lemon lime type soft drinks we can have, but. Pepsi has changed over its official drink of the NBA, WNBA, and NBA G League to a new product called Starry. And, you know, Mountain Dew has been a, uh, obviously a heavy player in uh, the NBA uh, since since the partnership went away from Coca-Cola, who had had Sprite in their lemon-lime offer, lemon lime offering. Uh, but so Starry is going to be the new, um, new, you know, soft drink face of the NBA, WNBA, and G League. Certainly, if you're you're Pepsi, um, and it's a, you know, it's a new brand, um, coming out of the gate, it's uh, you know, it's a great platform, right? NBA, WNBA, you know, to 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 launch the brand. It's a, I, I don't know what happened to Sierra Mist. I don't know if this is just a reformulation or what it is, but um, Sierra Mist had been around for over twenty years, competing with Seven Up, and uh, certainly to a greater extent with Sprite. Um, so we'll see. Right. I think that sometimes these certain products don't get traction, uh, whether it's, whether it's for the name or they can't break through with, uh, with the platform that they were on. And now, uh, this certainly gives, uh, it's, it's one hell of a way to break onto the scene, right? Yeah. And, um, I mean, you know, I can remember back when, when Coca-Cola changed over from Coke to Sprite, it was like scandal in the sports marketing space, right? That's like, how could you not use your flagship product? And it ended up being one of the most celebrated 
partnerships in sports marketing history and what it what that platform did do for the Sprite brand. Yeah, it certainly did amazing things for the Sprite brand. And I think it's a, it's a situation in which the brand knows better than the general public in terms of how you match your audience with, with a particular product that you have. Exactly. Right? Coca-Cola will always be sort of the lead brand when it comes to the Olympics and the World Cup. But when you're looking for a, a different segment of your audience, you know, it's, that was you couldn't get much better than Sprite and, and, uh, and the NBA. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a really excellent point and something that is a, a an interesting dynamic between um, between the property and the sponsor. The property loves having that absolute flagship name brand uh, that that is just so universal, such a such a global appeal for the Coca Cola brand, um, specifically the Coke product. Um, to to switch to a brand that is you know they're trying to build, so they're trying to give that same type of lift. And I think when it when is all said and done and we look back on that time, uh, you say it, you know, they were able to show how much of a role that they played in building uh, Sprite into the into the powerhouse brand that it uh, that it became. And so I think it ended up being a great win for the league to be able to say that we're at the, the first inclination of them was like, no, we want to stick with the, you know, with the with the with the big dog uh in coke but so it ended up working out i think for everybody but you're absolutely right um the brand kind of knows what they're trying to do uh and a, and a good property partner obviously needs to listen to that and say our our job with you paying us is to figure out a way to help you and to help you build your brand and and therefore if that's the right fit let's do it and let's let's knock it out of the park so I think with that, um, we'll we'll go ahead and take a break. Um, we have a, a, an exciting guest coming up, and we're looking forward to talking to him. And uh, we will be back soon. It's time for our guest. Welcome back. We are really pleased to have our next guest here. Ed Cull was named the Director of Athletics at Fordham University in February of 2021. Uh, prior to that, he had served as the Interim Director of Athletics. Um, he oversees a, uh, an organization with more than 100 coaches and staff, over 500 student athletes, 22 varsity teams, as well as the Fordham's uh, university uh, club and intramural programs. He was at Fordham for four or five years before he was named into that position, um, began his career in, in sales and marketing and promotions at St. John's University moving his way up to Associate Athletic Director. He has spent time on the brand side, and we are really pleased to have Ed join the podcast. Ed, welcome. Uh, great to be with you, Tim and David, and uh, pleasure is all mine. We'll have, look forward to having fun here. Great. So let's get started. Um, when you look at the Power Five conferences and the athletic directors, they almost become celebrities in certain cases, at least in our industry. They seem to have boundless budgets. Um, and you don't have that luxury as an athletic director in a mid-major uh, conference. So take us through some of the ways that you try to drive revenue for that program. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely do not have uh, limitless budgets here uh, at Fordham University, which kind of falls in that category. Tim and David of, of your true mid-major, right? I think you talk a lot about the power five or soon to, be, soon to be power four, power three, whatever they decide to do here in the next year and a half. But 
the mid-major category is really the one that's going to be impacted a lot. We try to be creative with revenue streams. Uh, as you know, fundraising is is everything in this industry as for non-for-profit higher education. I have a I have a fundraising background, which probably was really important in terms of me getting access or the opportunity in this chair to see. So a lot of the time is spent. There's a big whiteboard over my head here. It has names of donors and sports and teams and folks that we want to pay attention to and continue to ask for money. Um, Sponsorship rights is something you always try to get, how, how to get new partners involved uh, to support the program. Um, we took little different things in terms of TV and social media and streaming. How do we find different platforms to try to get additional um, opportunities and, and viewership and impressions for sponsors, uh, licensing, apparel deals. Uh, we try to be as creative as, as possible. We even did NFTs last year, Tim. Um, ticket sales is something we pay attention to. You try to do priority points or kind of your own little donor leverage or, or P&L type leverage on seats. So you look at everything possible in terms of what is a value to either to a donor, an alum, or an external fan. Uh, we rent out our facilities. You do camps. You do external events here on campus. So we try to get as creative as possible. It's, it's essential. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, as you kind of went through in my bio, my resume. And that's really how I approach this job today. You cannot be in a position to ask your president for more and more money every six months. You need to be able to diversify the portfolio and come up with revenue streams. So that's a lot of a lot of the day is spent on that for sure. I, I'd like to have you expand a little on that, even beyond just that very specific uh, element of the need to be creative and look for new ways to to drive revenue. I mean, we're we're facing such a massive sea change over the last few years in college athletics with the introduction of of nil with other with constant or what seems to be constant conference realignment uh the passing of power from the ncaa down to the divisions and and conferences and and all these factors how how has that on a broad basis uh impacted fordham the atlantic 10 the primary conference that you that, that you play in across your sports um, and I guess your role as a as a leader, like what does it mean? All these things, how have they how have they impacted all those areas of what you're trying to operate? And would you say you look at that and say, well, there are a lot of positives that come for that for our student athletes and for our university, or are there just extra challenges placed on Fordham? Yeah, David, I, I think you know it's something we've we've been doing here. I have a new president that began in July, uh, first lay president, first female president in 180. 81 years at Fordham University, and she's brought a tremendous amount of energy, enthusiasm, and change already to our culture in six months. And in preparation for her, I started a steering committee about a year and a half ago, kind of when I, you know, right after I had become full-time AD here, and assessing who are we? How do we get here? Why do, how do we have all the sports we have? How did the facilities get like this? Why is the budgets like this? Why do we give out scholarships this way? Um, and there's beautiful stories for every program and is a wonderful tradition and history and alumni base for each one. But I think sometimes a lot of institutions just kind of gone about growth and years and, and it just kind of continues to be. We have 22 varsity sports. We have 15 club teams. We oversee the fitness center and, and health and wellness here at Fordham University. So it's a lot. So how do you how do you really self-assess? And we've been doing that. So we're still in that process. Um, look at that against our peers, whether it be in the Atlantic 10 Conference or the Patriot League Conference. Um, what's what's kind of our objective? Does it align with the vision of the institution? Are we helping enrollment? Are we helping overall fundraising? Are we community involved and engaging? 
Are we truly a source of school spirit and school pride? So trying to put data against it, and that's a little bit about my business sense, my non-traditional AD background. Actual data, I think we all love our sports, we all love our programs, but are we really looking at things from a, a return on investment? And I hate to call, treat it like a business, but it, it really is a business, and so is higher education when you talk about tuition, increases of tuition on an annual basis. So a lot of that's gone through that exercise. So, um, you know, square footage, we're in the Bronx, we're real estate locked. We're not gonna be able to add more brick and mortar locations or more spaces. So mm -hmm. how do we make the most of that? Are we truly giving the students uh, a wonderful whole student athlete experience? So it's difficult because nobody likes to challenge, the, look at those challenges. Title IX obviously is one you, you, you both are well familiar with. And how are we doing ourselves properly service and how are we truly planning? So Fordham University has never had a strategic plan for athletics, so we're in the process of, of, of doing that. We've never had a master facilities plan, so we're in the process of doing that to make sure the master facility plan is, is supporting the strategic plan. And then, of course, the, the dollars, again, dollars and cents, the capital campaign, which we'll have for athletics to support the facilities, which will support the strategic plan. So that's a mouthful, but it's an important exercise that we almost have to go back to the ground level and be like, hey, how, how did we get here? in order to properly plan for where we want to go and what it's going to take. Um, and there's a lot of financial commitments that go along with that and tough decisions. And there's going to be a continue. So we're prepared for a new president, a new vision, and making sure our plan lines up with her strategic plan. And I want to go back to the what you were talking about earlier with the steering committee and, and the 22 sports. Would you ever look to add varsity sports to your roster of sports, like whether it be a wrestling or gymnastics or a lacrosse, and what would it take for you to be able to add sports? Yeah, so so I, my, my answer to that, Tim, is absolutely always want to be open-minded to adding sports, but, but, but it goes back to my earlier point of, all right, so why do we have the sports we have and what would adding the sport do? Does it fit with us academically in terms of our profile? Does it, is it geographically suit us? Does it fit some of our, 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 our um, facility needs? Does it help Title IX, right? Let's be honest about that, Tim and David. So truly looking at it, as you know, a lot of the schools that are adding sports around the country are doing it as an enrollment tool, right? So they're adding sports to add more students who are paying full tuition to come to their institution. Now that's, that's a model that's obviously, we understand it. It's a business model of getting more kids on campuses that are paying tuition because tuition pays the bills and keeps the lights on. Luckily at Fordham, you know, top 50 academic institution, we're not utilizing athletics as an enrollment tool. We're utilizing truly as a, a wonderful uh, support mechanism and means of school spirit. And we're developing tremendous leaders and academic kids here. So it's truly defining what you're using athletics for. Um, you know, whether that be, you know, hockeys or lacrosses or, or wrestlings or gymnastics or a lot of the, you know, the popular new popular ones that are coming out there in terms of adding, well, how does it truly align with our vision? And that goes a little back to making sure we're clear on who we are and who we want to be. Um, but I would just say it's, it's just not as easy, unfortunately, as just adding sports. I, I, we still have the club, the club mechanism for that, of course. Yeah, and you mentioned before you're somewhat you have you have limited ability to grow in terms of physical footprint. You we you are in the Bronx, uh, and and those factors need to be considered as well. So an additional challenge on that front. So I want to talk about um, your relationship with Learfield and and kind of give uh, a little insight into that. I believe in 2017 you signed a 12 year deal uh, with Learfield, which is the leading. Um, 
uh, college sports multimedia rights holders. Do you see them being part of a, you know, the long-term strategic plan? So, um, yeah, so I, I, I inherited uh, a Learfield agreement. I think you're correct, David, in terms of 2017. So again, I only kind of came on in 21. So the long-term deal, uh, actually, we have, a, we have an up, I have an update for you, which is probably relative to your conversation and your point that you want to focus on. We recently have discontinued the relationship. We have recently parted ways. Well, well, this Wait, is always this is a big what? breaking news. <laughs> this That's is a correct. big breaking news show, That's and we like to, we like to treat it like that rather than not having that uh, most recent information. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's very recent, and, and I think it's very relative to your question of why, no. what we're looking for, and what we need out of that 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 avenue of MMR. Um, you know, Learfield obviously is is a leader in terms of national. They have a, they have over I'm sure hundreds of schools that are they have partners with. Um, you know, something that obviously was just not not working out well in terms of Fordham. I think it goes back to our early conversation of that mid major category, who we are, who we want to be, and identifying kind of a, a partner that that will help us more on the local and regional standpoint. I think uh, you know Learfield being the national uh, company and national power that they are. You know, we're not Alabama, we're not Texas, we're not we're not Nebraska in terms of having some of those national FedEx or Geico's or a Home Depot type deals. Um, we're obviously a little bit more on the regional perspective. It is New York City for us. We have a lot of alums living in the tri-state area, um, a lot of a lot of opportunities there. So we need something a little bit more more local for us and more more kind of part of our our family and, and part of our alumni base to help our efforts um so that's kind of a decision we both made mutual kind of situation COVID has been very challenging for those mmr companies you know based on obviously a lot of no fans and obviously a lot of canceled games over the past two years so it was the right opportunity to separate we're actually in the process we have a consultant on right now identifying where the opportunities lie trying to assess truly what our revenue stream could be as its max potential uh and then kind of get trying to look at next steps in terms of what we want to do but I, I'm, it's important to me with my external background that it's someone that really ties to the university, understands the importance of partnerships throughout campus, not just athletics. How do we find an insurance company that could benefit the entire campus? How do we find a, a healthcare provider that could be benefit the entire campus? A bank, the same way, a financial industry. So it's it's not. I'm trying to break down the walls of just being athletics uh, and it being an entire campus benefit. So is it safe to assume at this point you might bring it in-house or you might go with a different multimedia rights agency? At, yeah. every, everything's open to discussion and your that's consultant's like, going to help you figure that out? You got it, Tim. That's spot on. I think this, I think in-house is always, I think, the preferred choice. I don't know many folks that would say it's not a preferred choice. The challenge you have with in-house, of course, is taking on the salary benefits uh, and the expense of having somebody or even the office space. Uh, as compared to utilizing one of these these guaranteed deals, and they they obviously build in the expenses in terms of their share. So I think it's always important to have the creativity, uh, the planning, the ideation within your roof and umbrella. So if that would be my preference, I'd love to bring it in house. And then if it's not, trying to find the right partner externally that really gets us and connects with us and understands how Fordham could be maximized from a revenue standpoint. Great. So I want to go back to Title IX, which you you talked about earlier. We recently celebrated last last summer. We celebrated the 50th anniversary of Title IX. At this stage um, of the game, do you even have to think about 
how Title IX impacts your decision making as it result as it relates to budgets or adding sports, or has it become so ingrained in the way that you do business that it it it's just there, right? It, it equity gender equity is something you don't even have to think about anymore. Yeah, great question, Sam. I I think it's definitely ingrained in terms of how we communicate, how we make decisions, how we go about you know programming, how we go about training and development. All aspects, it's it's kind of um, that that gender equality, that consistency across the board is is definitely ingrained. But I'll be honest with you, it's it's important though that we continue to pay attention to it that way. And you you saw what happened a couple of years ago at the Final Four for the women's basketball tournament. They didn't have a weight room same size as the men, and they had bad amenities. And we we need to continue to be reminded of that because it does not seem to be ingrained in everybody else uh, to answer your question. So how do we continue to pay attention to that? and make decisions. And I also think it's important to understand, you know, some of the different needs of the programs, but, but yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's definitely a much of actual planning standpoint and how we go about our efforts of communication. It is truly essentially part of everything we do and, and having, you know, student athletes across the board representing both women and men and, um, and no longer trying to, you know, hope, hopefully we're getting better at, at, and away from those, those challenges and disadvantages we've had in our history. Uh, thanks for that. I, I do want to um, acknowledge uh, we when we write questions, we just actually alternate back and forth and we never know if we're going to ask a question that was I would ask a question written by Tim. Tim would ask a question that was written by me. I do want to acknowledge that that excellent question comment that you gave. That was a Tim McGee question. I just want to give <laughs> just so you know, Ed, it's Fordham's Tim McGee. Yes, I'm very impressed. Right. Yeah. Fordham, <laughs> Fordham dad, Fordham dad, Tim McGee. Uh, and and we've you know this is sort of like little league baseball we've invoked the mercy rule we've stopped keeping score on how many great questions i've gotten and how many great questions david has gotten i i honestly don't know what fantasy world this man lives in sometimes (laughs) ed i I don't know where this is coming from but it's it's it i'm gonna give it to him because it seems like something that's important for him to hold on to he's kind of true it's kind of true though I'll my entire it. self-esteem is yeah. tied up in, in competing <laughs> against david and i and i lose constantly no 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 so ed um one one more question before we go to the final questions because you mentioned you know the new york aspect and there's obviously a big corporate market here and that's important to you and relationships you have that you can that you can go after because of that but how else is new york um you know, kind of part of the brand of Fordham, you know, the university as well as the athletic department. How much do you guys lean into that in in your marketing and recruiting, and uh, obviously on the sponsorship and media side? Yeah, it's 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 a huge part. So that's a great question, and it's something you know. Even the university will have a slogan: um, Fordham is our school, but New York City is our campus. And, and obviously, all that comes along with that in terms of the experience and the opportunities it provides students. Uh, either commuting or living on living on campus and you know even from an athletic standpoint we obviously have kids all over the country all over the world uh internationally and i know it's 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 the education of course is so important for them quality athletics is so important to them but i know the new york piece means a lot to a lot of folks uh in terms of the experience and i know for a lot of our students you know we're a quick train ride here from campus into manhattan and, and any kind of food they like to try any kind of arts uh, Broadway show or musical that music that they like. Uh, there's so much at their fingertips, 
And I, I'm, you know, I'm born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, and live in Long Island, and work in the Bronx. So you kind of, you kind of, as a New Yorker, take that for granted. You really do. So I, I love seeing New York City through the eyes of our students uh, who may be seeing it for the first time because that's so powerful. It's so enlightening. A lot of them stay here. So many internships at their fingertips, jobs, many alumni. So we talk a lot about how do we utilize New York City not only for the four years or so here on campus. But the 40 years afterwards and that's that's where i think fordham has been extremely successful in the quality education but the ability to leverage the city and its value um and i've you know i've been a lifelong new yorker so i'm of course biased on this but i think there's so much more to even be done uh we often really do take it for granted and forget how literally everything is, is and any, any interest levels can be accomplished in, in manhattan and new york city so two things before we let you go. Number one, that was David's question. So he gets so he's he's tied it up for today. And second thing I want to say is Ed called for mayor, right? With that with yeah. that background. Oh, 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 right. Brooklyn good, Queen, Brooklyn good, Queens, the Bronx. Yeah, careful, well, Tim. I don't know if not, I want to touch not, on Not, I not only that, good question, sure. Better answer. I mean, that was yeah. that was a fantastic response to that question. <laughs> yes, very true. I appreciate that. Mayor, politics is not for me, though, gentlemen. I'll say that. Not for me. Well. We, we, uh, we have two questions that we like to ask all our guests, Ed. So if you'll indulge us for just a couple more minutes. First one we want to ask is... Well, take a look at started. Well, started. Yeah, so uh, student-athlete, uh, baseball player in, in college, uh, played a little bit professionally afterwards, always loved uh, the college experience. I was a part of my student-athlete advisory committee, um, did kind of, um, you know, represented athletics on the president student council or student government piece, uh, did a little internship at Indianapolis for NCAA soon after uh, college for a, a brief stint. And I just like fell in love with the idea that you, you can get paid to continue to work on a college campus and college athletics and be around competitions and sports and athletics, what I love. Um, you know, I, I actually went back to, um, to Queens home at that point in time, I got a grad assistantship at St. John's University, continuing it at, at, at higher education and college athletics. And I just fell in love. You know, I, I've, I've left it a couple of times for different jobs at the NFL and Madison Square Garden. And uh, I worked at two beverage companies, Coca-Cola and Vitamin Water as an entrepreneur and in the private sector. So I got a lot of experiences, even at Coke, dealing with the World Cup and London Olympics and NBA and LeBron James. And I've had a full like sports business life and uh, very, very lucky and blessed. And I just always get drawn back to the college campus. I love the idea of impacting young people. I love the purity still of college athletics, though I know that's always in question in terms of uh, NCAA and, and gambling and NIL and all those transfer portal, all the other stuff going on in our world. But I just, I just think being around young people who have these dreams and these passions and are chasing their dreams is, is the best inspiration every day. So I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed to, to be in the field I am. That, that's great. And, and uh, I, I love the motivation. I admire that very much. Last question. What's the one piece of advice you would have for a young person looking to break into the sports industry, whether it's into intercollegiate athletics or, or any aspect of the business for that matter? Yeah, my, I actually teach a, a sports marketing course um and i always tell my students the same thing i'm like when you're looking for a job or, or applying for an internship i know everybody wants the internship with the new york yankees and everybody wants to be the next brian cashman and his his internship stories at the yankees is phenomenal but as you all know there's 
probably 6,000 applicants for that Yankees internship, always try to find that, that other, that, that road less traveled a little bit, or a little bit, maybe out of the way, might be more challenging, might not be as, as glamorous or, but it's, it's something that'll be of interest. So, you know, I, I took a job with a vitamin water company in the early 2000s. People weren't even buying bottled water then. I remember, I remember my dad telling me, nobody pays for bottled water, Ed. It's free out of the faucet. You've lost your mind. Like, why would you ruin your life and take a job selling water? And I, you know, the ability to run sports marketing for a company like that and get involved, it was, a, was an education and it was a door opening that I'm forever grateful and kind of take a chance and do something a little different. In today's world, would that be fantasy sports or that be gambling or that be NIL stuff or that be web creation or apps or I don't even want to pretend what, what the, the new trends are, but just, you know, kind of differ, differentiate yourself uh, from others and some of your skill sets and try something outside the box that would still be involved with sports. Sports means a lot. It, when people talk about you want to work in sports, that could mean 6 million different things. And the more you look into those things, the more opportunities and and uh, more new ideas and fresh thinking we'll create. Great, great advice. Uh, before I let you go, Ed, I got to tell you one thing, true story. I've been on the uh, faculty at St. John's University since the fall of 2015. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn Gerstner, I know you know very well, Yes. Um, asked me to teach. And I said, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And there's a lot of students who probably feel the same way now as they did eight, nine years ago when I started. Um, <laughs> And he said, well, here, take some of these uh, syllabuses and, and, and adapt them to how you want to teach the class. And one of the ones that he gave me was yours, uh, <laughs> which which I use to this day for, if you recall, SPM 1022, Sport oh, Marketing. Yeah, they, wow. That, that, <laughs> that's my that's my favorite course, my go-to. And uh, and uh, Glenn is great people. That's a great program as a, as a double alum of St. John's that I am. I, you and I both know you're not teaching for money. You're teaching for the love of it and, and and being around young people and their their passion. It's it's energizing. It really is. Absolutely. Well, listen, Ed, um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, good luck, not only to the entire athletic program at Fordham, but especially to the uh, basketball team who uh, took it on the chin last weekend. I, I was watching the game against Richmond, but yes. you're sitting there two games out of first place and, and with an 18 and five record, I think um, the excitement is certainly back on Rose Hill. Um, so good luck for the rest of the season for men's and women's basketball and, and all of your sports. I appreciate that. Yes. Hoops is off to a good start. Men's and women's. It's been a while for the men's program and uh, hopefully we keep it going. Anytime you two want to come to a game, let me know. We'd love to have you here, please. Thank uh, you. Appreciate that, Ed. Such a pleasure meeting you and uh, appreciate your time. Ah, pleasure's all mine. So thanks again to Ed Cole from Fordham University. Go Rams. Um, great guests, great insights into uh, what is a really complex role being an athletic director at at any university and, and the challenges of an athletic director at a school playing in a mid-major is, is unique um, for someone like Ed. So this is the time of the show where we look forward, typically. Um, I think it's kind of a duh moment, right? When we say, what are you going to be looking at this weekend? But I'll ask you anyway, David, what are you looking forward to this coming week? Well, I will be actually flying back from London on Super Bowl Sunday and but we'll be back in time 
to uh, sit and completely veg, I hope. Uh, no, no big parties, no celebrations, just vegging, watching the Super Bowl. I'm going to be... I'm going to be pulling for the Eagles, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say I'm picking the Eagles. Okay. Um, well, you know, I'm, and, I, and I'm saying that that's a that's a that's a pick with my heart. To be honest with you, I haven't over. I'm not overly analyzing this, um, and and I'm excited about the commercials. And as I said last week, I'm excited to see what Gronk does in this kick <laughs> um, with FanDuel and uh, and just kind of you know kickback from from this uh from this trip to the uk uh, which has been going great so uh looking forward to getting home and and you know celebrating this most american of american holidays the super bowl well i'm not doing this just to be contrary but i'm going to go with the the chiefs going back to our conversation with mark donovan president of the chiefs when i predicted the chiefs um so i'm going to stick with them uh but i want to take this i want to take just a minute to go back and I, David, you know that I am a Jets fan. I loathe the New England Patriots and all they stand for, including their longtime quarterback, Tom Brady. But I read some statistics when he announced his retirement the other day, which are absolutely fascinating. So Tom Brady has won more Super Bowls than all 32 NFL clubs than any one of the 32 clubs, number one. Um, he has uh, the most postseason wins um, in the history of the sport. And he has uh, he has defeated every NFL team as a starting quarterback, which I think only one or two other people have done. So he will go down as the GOAT for sure. Um, but uh, just wanted to call that out. I just found that fascinating. Well, that that's that's nice of you to point that out. I, I also want to say something because you just mentioned Mark Donovan. Did you see how freaking good Mark Donovan looked on the podium when they were awarding the Lamar Hunt Trophy? You know, perfectly right to the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid and the and ownership. He looked. Yeah. He was looking. He was looking. He. I mean, Mark Donovan always looks good. Let's just be honest. Well, but. I think we. I think we both have a bit of a man crush on Mark Donovan. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, totally. if if they ever remake Superman, you know, you've got your Clark Kent right there. Forget about right. Clark Hunt. You've got Clark Kent and, and Mark Donovan. So yeah. It's, well, we are, so, so, and the and the big point out of that is that we do expect you know cool podium shots for for more of our guests down the road, and we suspect that there there will be, and it won't just be Mark, but you know others of our of our uh, excellent guests that we've had over the course of uh, 53 episodes so far. Yep. Well, listen, uh, I hope you have continued safe travels and productive meetings over in the UK uh, and a safe and uneventful trip back. Uh, thank you as always for being my partner on this, but thank you mostly to our listeners. Um, we really appreciate you. Please follow us, share us, Give us your feedback. We look forward to it. Uh, and until next week, he's DP. I'm McGee, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks.